Welcome, Mosaic family. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us tonight. And those of you that are joining us online as well, let's stand together and let's sing his praises tonight. Sing this out with us. Thank you. Mosaic, you can have a seat. Oh, my name is Scott Page, and I want to be the first one to welcome you here tonight. And it is so great to have you here. You know, we, we always hope and dream that you're connected, you feel well welcomed whenever you come here. Um, I know this is a weird time where it's, where it's hard to feel connected, but tonight's going to be about hope. 
And uh, kids, did, did you get a, a butterscotch whenever you came in? Everybody get a butterscotch? The kids? I hope so. Because for me, this little butterscotch, it's not about Halloween or anything like that. What this butterscotch is about is hope. Whenever I was a kid, I was growing up in, uh, I was born in Coffeeville, Kansas. And we went to the first United Methodist Church. And as long as I can remember, I would walk in to the Methodist Church and a man named Tater would give me a butterscotch. And then when we moved to Arkansas and, and we'd go back and visit my grandparents, Tater would still give me that butterscotch. Now, most of you know my story, and, and there were times that, that I turned my back on the Lord, but Tater would still continue to give me that butterscotch. When my grandmother passed away and I was 19 years old, I said, Tater, where's my butterscotch? And he said, Scott, you're not a child anymore. It's time to grow up. And, you know, I didn't know how to process that, but he knew, you've come to church, son. You've got hope. Is your hope in Jesus? That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Our hope rests in the Lord. So no matter what's going on, where we're at, our hope rests in the Lord. So as you pop open that candy and you eat it tonight, always remember you're welcomed here. We're glad to have you. But remember, our hope rests in the Lord. You know, as we enter into these holiday seasons, um, sometimes grief comes upon it. I mentioned my grandmother. Her, she, for whatever reason, she died around the holidays. My grandfather died around the holidays. My father didn't die around the holidays, but the first time I experienced life without my father around the holidays was tough. Um, it's special that we're going to be having grief share uh, on Tuesday, November 10th, just a special session of that that... If you've lost a loved one and the holidays are tough for you, that we're going to be having a gathering time for you to, you to process that together. So I've been through grief share, and I would highly encourage everybody, if you, if you haven't been through that, this would be a great time for you to enter into that season. Um, those of you, this is an exciting time. You may have tripped over it coming into the church. Was uh, There's a beam that is sitting out the side of our, our church. And some of you may be praying about right now, should I even be a part of Bentonville as we launch that congregation? Well, what we want people to do right now is be praying and, and considering Bentonville. So sign a scripture. Sign something on a beam that is going to be a part of that physical building. We as Mosaic, whether you're going to Bentonville, whatever it is a part of, we are a part of that congregation. So by praying and, and covering that place in scriptures, this is how we can be a part of it right now. So we want to encourage you to pray over and be a part of that. Speaking of prayer, this is something that we as a body should be engaged in more than ever. During this season where, where you see parties split so often, in our society. Doug spoke so eloquently about it. We are united as a body of believers. And so the first place I'd ask you to please pray together is for our church. Please pray that God will unite our hearts, our vision, and our passion for what breaks his heart. Ask him to be praying for us. Ask him to be guiding us and stretching us. Then our city, for our city leaders, for, for those in our community that are hurting, whatever it is that breaks our heart in your city, let's be praying for that. Then thirdly, our country. This week is a, a time that's going to set us forward for the next four years and for whoever knows how much longer. But God reigns and he is on the throne and so let's seek him on behalf of this time now I know that my prayer life gets messed up sometimes and I start just asking the Lord for things asking him on my behalf let's 
begin asking the Lord, what does he want? Rather than what do we want, what does he want? And that means silence and solitude. So can we begin, even tonight, as sitting in a few moments of silence and just saying, Lord, I'm here. I'm waiting on you. Will you please speak to me and begin to guide my heart tonight? Join me in prayer.
cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. body bowed and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance seen by heavy stone Messiah still and all alone
in the middle of our grief, in the middle of our brokenness, interrupting death, you will come and the dead will be raised, the believers from old, and we who are left will rise with them and meet you face to face in the clouds, whatever that really means. <laughs> oh, how we long for that day. Amen. Hey, you might have noticed that we have a bunch of students on stage with us tonight. These are a bunch of the high school kids from the youth group. They're incredible. Um, Logan Self, one of our seniors, who's just an incredible young man of God, um, picked the last song for us tonight in light of his testimony. And so he just wanted to share for a few moments what this song means to him and how God's been moving in his life. So go ahead, bro. Well, hey, Mosaic, I'm Logan. Um, a lot of y'all know me, but this past couple of weeks, I've been really doing, putting a lot of prayer and reflecting into this worship set and just how we want to glorify God in this way. And this next song, it's new. I don't think we've done it here, but it's called Graves in the Gardens. Um, and the whole idea of this song is God taking all the brokenness and sin and all the burdens of this world and in our lives and using it for glory and turning it into something beautiful. Um, so it's really good, and that really impacts me and my story because I was born with a lot of physical suffering that I didn't understand. I didn't know why God would do this, why he would put this on me. That's what I would always think. I always thought he cursed me. Um, and I had a lot of brokenness, and a lot of the physical suffering, I blamed God, and I had a lot of bitterness. Um, but then um, one night in Tulsa, we went on a trip, and it was a final night of worship, and everybody was worshiping. It was great, um, but I wasn't feeling it. I was sitting down. I was at my crossroads of my faith, and I was praying. I was like, Lord, you gotta heal my body, or I'm out of here. Like, I can't live like this anymore. And right there, he spoke to me, and he said to me, Logan, the healing you need is not of your body, but of your heart. And right there, all of my, all of my brokenness, my pain, turned to a blessing, and I was able to see what I thought was originally a curse is really a gift, because I get to use my suffering to teach people about Jesus, and that's incredible. And this really just relates to this whole song about just taking all of the brokenness and turning it to good. So, can we sing this together?
testimony that you take our brokenness and you call it blessed. Jesus, thank you for your words standing on the mount thousands of years ago, that your kingdom is for the broken and for the lowly, for the suffering and the sick, because your gospel of grace and mercy brings healing and salvation, and it turns our dead graves into gardens where you flourish and where your power is made great. So we as one body tonight, just in this room, are, are grateful for that testimony of brokenness becoming blessing, of grief turning into hope. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks students, great job, wow. Man. That is so meaningful. What a privilege to be a part of a church uh, where Scott and Laura and, and, and all of our family team, Janie and Matt Natzel and Mimi Page and all the volunteers and all the leaders and all the staff that are coming alongside our families to make disciples and see next generations of people who love the Lord like that. That's something, huh? That, that, that's a privilege. Um, well, the week before this, so, so last week, I, I took a little solo soul retreat. And I went back up to the great white north to where a lot of my childhood was, uh, to, to the land of Minnesota. Where, wow, okay, there you go. And, and, uh, and while I was there, it snowed every day. And when I would call my wife, I said, it's snowing again. And she would, I'm sorry. It's terrible. You're on your like getaway. I'm like, no, 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 no. No, snow, it has a way for me. Maybe it's my childhood, I don't know. I'm just it's the sound dampening, but it's also this like soul deepening effect. Every day it would start to snow and I'd put on my hat and put on my jacket and I would go for a walk and I would think of on the Lord. I would pray and I'd pray for you and I'd pray for where God has me in my heart and and I meditated upon this scripture. I spent time in this text thinking about hard things like, like death and eternity and even grief. And there was a time where I was staying where, with one of my old college roommates, and I guess this is the college roommate you know, ticket that they can write. He says, hey, if you're going to be here, you got to help me build my deck, which he and I both know what that means. He builds and I lift. So there's huge stacks of wood in his front driveway and for an hour, I just carried them from the front to the back as he swung his hammer and did his sanding and building thing. But I was thinking about it and I was carrying it. And at one point, I was going to set it down and he stopped me and he warned me and he said, Matt, if you set it down wrong, your hand is gonna go against the grain of the wood. Anyone in here know about wood enough? You know what I'm talking about? And if your hand goes against the grain of the wood, actually the way that the wood is designed and made, what's gonna happen? Anybody? Splinter! Who loves a good splinter? Nobody! And I did it, I set it down, ah! And he just gave me that roommate empathy. He said, I told you. And then he called me some name, I don't know. But I got a splinter, and I don't know if this is how the Lord whispers to you, but I feel like when God kind of meets me in these little moments, it's worth sharing with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because I felt like, I felt like I was meditating on this text and I felt like the question of the spirit just came in the unique kind of way. Snow's coming down, lifting, splinter in my finger and he said, does grief have a grain to it? Almost like the grain of the wood. And I just kept walking back to the front and lifting boards and bringing them back, thinking on that question, is, does grief have a grain? Does God actually have a design? A way that he has set us up to grieve well? And the obvious follow-up question, are we? You know, this chapter of 1 Thessalonians if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, it's, it's been a little mini-series within a series. We've talked about it at the beginning. You remember where we said that, that the will of God, we all leaned in together. What is the will of God? And it is our 
sanctification, that Greek word hagiosmos, to be set apart in holiness, unique, set apart from the culture. And then this part of the chapter in particular addressing questions that the Thessalonians have. Questions on sexual identity and sexual ethics. Questions like last week, how, we, how Doug answered, what does it look like as the church to uniquely lean in and love brothers and sisters in Christ? And then this week, how do we grow? How do we more and more move forward, set apart in grieving loss? And if you can believe it, by God's grace, he set us up. He makes a grain to it so that we would grieve well. Yet our tendency, in the same way that I got a finger splinter, is to do it backwards and end up with, with soul splinters. We've all fallen into, we've all fallen into the soul splinter moment. And that's where I just want to dig deeper with you tonight, okay? Uh, there's a few words in this passage that I think are important. They kind of hit the radar button that, that are important to point out. The first one is this, is he starts out saying, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, if you've been following us with 1 Thessalonians, this is a new idea, okay? Because time and time again, he kind of has this posture of, you remember how I told you? I was there with you a couple weeks, and we talked about this, and you know this. Or he'll validate them and be like, you're, you're killing it in this area. You're making disciples. You're evangelizing. You're doing all this stuff. You're getting it, right? I'm just, I'm just reminding you. This is the only time in the book where he says, I want to bring this up so that you are not uninformed. And he mentions people that are asleep, which is simply a euphemism for death. Asleep's an important word, and here's another important word that comes up a few times in the text. This whole idea of what does it mean to be risen. We're going to answer all these as we go about. What does it mean to be risen? We see that Jesus, in verse 14, died and rose. But then it wouldn't have escaped the attention of the reader as they're opening up this letter and digesting it together when it says... Verse 16 later, that the dead in Christ, those two will rise first. Now, I know you, like me, we might have this kind of like imaginary picture in our mind of when, when Jesus comes back and we rise and we're all going to kind of suddenly grow, sprout wings and float up and kind of, is that what rising from the dead looks like? Does it do something to your imagination that verse 16 also says that Jesus, the Lord, he's going to descend to us? There's actually debates. What does that mean? Do we go up? Does he come down? Does coming from the sleep mean we're coming from death and he's going to make a new heaven and new earth here? Interesting conversations. And then the phrase that I think is really the one that, that gets at the heart of the matter is this. That we would not people who grieve as others who have no Grieving as others who have no hope. Just in a quick Google search, what is grief? Here was the number one definition I thought it was so good. It is deep sorrow from a lost bond. Can you feel that even in your chest right now? Deep sorrow from a lost bond. That's why when we go to funerals like the one that I went through two weeks ago from a good friend who, who tragically died... And the person leading the funeral said, she would not want you to cry. She would want this to be a party. Somewhere and it's like, oh. And it just checks our spirit funny. Don't cry, do cry. Sorrow, don't sorrow. Grief, don't grieve. How, what is the grain of the wood for grief? How am I supposed to respond here? Some of us take the Winnie the Pooh approach. Which Winnie the Pooh says, oh, how lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. Does grief feel lucky to you? Often not. So it seems like Paul, he's presenting for us two very different kinds of grief. And if you're taking notes, this would be worth writing down and considering. He gives us a hopeless grief. And then he gives us a hopeful grief. A hopeless grief going against the grain of the design. Grief that becomes almost a theological deconstructor 
Have you been there? You know it because it always proceeds with a question like this. God, how could you do this to me? How could you wreck my plan? How could you take whatever your ideal is? How could you take that? And somehow that feeling turns into our identity. Somehow that identity turns into our view of God that he must not care. He must not know what I really need because no good God would actually allow this bad thing to happen to me. Can you see how quickly the theological deconstruct can happen for hopeless grief? And it feels like this is what Paul is almost sniffing out with the Thessalonians that are hearing this letter. So there's a hopeless grief, but there's also a hopeful grief. There's a hopeful grief. And you've all heard and used and know the word hope. But sometimes I wonder, and I wonder this for myself, do I really wrap my full arms around it and embrace it? I like this definition. It said, it is the confident expectation of what a faithful God has already promised. And here's a second definition from Eugene Peterson. And hoping is not dreaming. It is not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. I love this. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It's our grief filled with hope. That is the point of Paul writing. Now, if any of you, uh, some of you know me pretty well and you know that I have a propensity towards sadness, depression, uh, feelings of loss. And so in my uh, life, I call them hope hangers. Things that I need to do when I can actually feel my heart going, going sad. I can feel my body language starting to feel dread. Sorrow sets in. I have a couple hangers. One of them is I keep trinkets in my pocket. I've told you this before. It's nothing new, okay? This week, since we've gone over that first couple verses in chapter four about more and more, growth more and more, I picked up an acorn and I've had it in my pocket. And every time I haven't felt more and more but less and less, I put my hand in my pocket and I touch it and I'm reminded what growth feels like. Hey, on your way out, grab an acorn. They're out there somewhere under the trees. We don't have them for you. Grab one and keep it in your pocket and put, maybe it could be a hope hanger for you. So I touch my acorn and my mind goes to certain verses like Psalms 42. A good question when I'm feeling sad. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. For we will yet again praise them. And from Psalm 71, I will hope continually. Said like a statement, even when we don't feel it. Our faith says, I will hope continually. And then he uses that same phrase, that same growth kind of idea. More and more I will find my hope in you. Or maybe it's a song that comes to mind. I asked the band if they would play it at the beginning. When my, when my heart is sad, when I have doubt setting in, when the grain of my grief starts to go the other way, I start humming or singing that song. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. I sing it so much that my six-year-old can lean over and say, Dad, are you okay? And I say, I am now. Because I've hanged my hope back on God. You know, this passage, this scripture... Uh, these, uh, we'll call them spiritual stimulants, they're helpful to reset our hope. But the point of this is not a gentle reminder. The point of this text is to reestablish the foundation of your hopeful grief. Redefine, reestablish. The foundations of our hope from these texts is, are two things. The first one, verse 14. Number one is the gospel. The foundation of why we can grieve in hope is because God saves sinners through Jesus. God rescues me from sin. For those who confess their sin and believe in his name, he rescues us. 
rescues us out of our hopelessness and he gives us hope. And it says that. It says, since we believe, with the emphasis on since. Since you believe in Jesus, who died and rose again, showing us the way and modeling for us where our hope anchor is, that we also have died to sin, that we also have been invited to live and walk in hope in the newness of life. Dead to sin, risen to walk, new mind, new kingdom, new way of living. Our first foundation is the gospel. Our second foundation, verses 15 through 17, is eternity. Jesus gives the readers, the Thessalonians and us, a peek into what is coming. Now, you might be sitting here right now and you might love verses like this. And the chance to get a little eschatological clue or like an end times picture of how things are going to be, boy, you might just be like, yes, time to like start the debate, start the positions flowing. Let's like, let's define who we are and what's going to happen. There is value in reading and thinking about such things. But I also think there's value in remembering from Jesus' own mouth in Matthew 24, he says, the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. Only my Father knows. So in light of that, let me give you, there's, there's volumes and commentaries written about what is to come. Let me give you the three-minute version of a, few, a couple different kinds of views. Revelations 20 says that Satan will be bound for a thousand years, an era that's commonly known as the millennium. And so there's premillennium, amillennium, and postmillennium. A premill is that Jesus returned uh, before this thousand year reign that would usher in this period. An amillennialism, a thousand years, a symbolic number in which Christ reigned from heaven right now. If you're an amillennialist, we are in this phase. The postmillennialist, that Jesus would come after a thousand year reign, bringing in an age of peace and prosperity. And every one of these views has just an endless supply of bullet points of the texts that they originate from, the points that they make, and why people would hold these views. By the way, there are people that hold to each one of these views, godly men and women, that will be in heaven someday, even though they disagree on eschatological views. If you're the kind of person that just loves that kind of reading, that kind of studying, this is a great readable book, this resource that comes from a three-book volume. Check it out and just go one layer deeper. Okay? If you want to look at some great texts that kind of start to allude to this story, Daniel, John, Acts, 1 Corinthians, or come back next week and Mark is going to go one layer deeper in 1 Thessalonians 5 that gives us some more peek into this future. If there's one word from this text that gets a lot of airplay, that, that really kind of stands in importance, is in verse 17. And it's this idea, and honestly, it's a controversial idea of what does it mean to be, quote unquote, caught up. That we are caught up together. The origin of this word, the Greek word, it's where we get our word rapture. This verse, this word is where was it, the late 90s that the Left Behind Story series began? Right, where 29 novels, where three books turned into 29 or something like that, right? And this idea where there's this very sudden moment, this sound and sight show where trumpet blasts and clouds part and Jesus descends and everything changes, followed by the ultimate reunion party. And again, our imaginations, they go for it. And all of a sudden, we're going to have these planes with no pilots. We're going to have these cars without drivers that are basically missiles down Highway 49. We're going to have clothes laying in the living room that are perfectly ironed, and one arm is weirdly bent, but nobody in it. And this sudden left-behindness. We could spend days talking about all the positions and why people hold to them. But honestly... That is not Paul's point. And we know that from the very last sentence of this text. This passage is not to positionally inform us. Verse 18 says, I write this for your encouragement. I write this for your encouragement. 
This isn't a text for debate. This is a text to meet with a friend who's grieving and bring an extra box of Kleenex. To have those snotty, full, weepy, yet smiling tears that point our hope that Jesus is real and he's bringing us together again. This text is for a graveside. In other words, sin, when sin entered the world, it caused gaps, traumatic and deepening disconnect. Man from God, man from woman, man from their purpose in the garden. Every avenue, every view of how man and woman see the world, now sin has caused gaps. It's caused disconnect. It's caused brokenness. And Paul writes, a church that is in deep sorrow from loss, deep hurt with a confusing view, talking about how Jesus has a plan. God has a plan, and in God's plan of sending Jesus, he puts hope into our grief because the promise is we will be together again with those fellow believers and we will be with Jesus forever. And this is meant to give hope to our grief. Jesus' great reconciliation, restoration project, putting things back together all the way to the point where he descends and makes all things new. So let's consider this for today. If I was going to preach this passage a year ago, maybe it would be a complete different application. But today is unique. It's unique because, oh, it was in March that this news of this weird thing called COVID came out. And honestly, the place that it hit me was, sweet, one more week of spring break. Two months into it, though, I talked to my counselor and I said, I just don't, I don't have a word for how I'm feeling. I just feel so much hurt, so much loneliness, so much confusion, so much loss. And they said really simply, oh, you're experiencing grief. You and I, we've experienced grief, loss of deep bonds. And you know the numbers. 230,000 Americans dead. 1.2 million worldwide dead. Suicide and depression rates drastically going up. And even simple losses that are a really big deal. Weddings, birthdays, hobbies, and hugs are gone. There's so much that we've lost. And the word that summarizes how you're feeling right now is we are grieving. And I know for many of you, that grief has led to the feel of you have soul splinters. You have questions and doubts of God. In an email conversation yesterday with a, with, with a growing friend, a man who's not been a man of faith, I told him how I'm hurting and he responded with, yeah, I never really did the God thing, but now I know for certain I am hurting so bad God can't be real. It's amazing how common that story is becoming. For many of you, your faith has been replaced with fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of change. I think this passage is for you as well. So let's do a little something together. Can you take your hands and just check your pulse quick? You know, a pulse check is a symbol of a healthy heart. That, that's actually not, your heart's not in your wrist. Did you know that? It's telling you that your heart is beating. So here's a little hope hanger for you. This is not, this little symbol, I don't want you to check your grief levels. I'm not asking you to check your grief pulse. I want you to check the pulse of your hope. I want you to ask yourself the hard questions. Where is my hope? Because Paul, what he's not doing 
He's not talking about whether or not pain or loss or death exists. Obviously, he's pre-assuming that. He's asking, are you living your life with or without hope? And he's re-showing us, he's retelling us that the foundation of the gospel promise is that we will be now and forever with Jesus. And that should bring a pulse back to our hope. We long and desire to be a church that's vulnerable. That's why we can say things like, all are broken, all matter, one gets the glory. We don't get to being a spiritually broken people until we're vulnerable with those who we trust and love. So I'd ask you, where have you placed your hope? Really do a soul search, and who are you gonna tell this to? Is your hope in a COVID vaccine? Is your hope in things just going back to normal? Is your hope in the job change that you experienced working its way out? Is your hope in Tuesday's election? I had the weirdest moment driving to church today. Coming south on 49, there was multiple cars with flags, and it said the Trump train. And I was behind a series of cards with flags that said the Biden bus. And I was like, where's my hope? <laughs> is that where your hope is? Is your hope in the election? Is your hope in that your baby's nose will stop running? They'll start sleeping. The fever will go down. The test will come back negative. Is your hope in school stopping or school starting? School closing or school opening? Is your hope that that relationship will get fixed? Friends, one of the joys of coming together, worshiping together, uh, and really it's as simple as this gathering time is a liturgy of showing up. It's a reminder that, that living as one is tangible and real and practical and happens through praying together and singing together and reading scripture together. And so right now, I just, I wanna do a hope hanger. I wanna do a hope practice together. I wanna pause and close our eyes. Center yourself in the moment. Take some deep breaths. And let's reset our minds and our hearts, our souls back on hope. Jeremiah 29 says that God knows and his plans are for hope and a future. Psalm 71 says to hope continually more and more. Romans 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. In Jesus. First Thessalonians 1.3. The prayer that you would have endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you have laid the foundation for us. Not saying that, that, that grief is a lack of faith. Not saying that grief is unacceptable. Actually validating and welcoming grief. But showing us how we don't have to lose our hope in grief. That we can have a hopeful grief. Thank you for that moment this week of reading the Valley of Vision. Where it said, fill me with peace. That no disquieting worldly gales may ruffle the calm surface of my soul. Lord Jesus, I know that there's many souls that feel ruffled. There's many here whose grief, whose grief has just been exposing them. Their loss is real. Their, feel, their fear has replaced their faith. And so, Lord, together as a church, 
we reset our hearts upon a hopeful grief, upon knowing that you love us. And since we believe in Jesus, death and resurrection, we can believe in a hopeful future together. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, it's just a blessing that the scriptures illuminate so many things in our life, right? That the scriptures are our guide to everything that is going on. I've been blessed to have so many great teachers in my life. And I, I remember whenever I was going through some particular trials in my life, and, and uh, Gary Harrell, one of, our, uh, one of our founding pastors here at Fellowship, uh, set me down and said, Scott, the one that God wants to use in his life, he squeezes. And so if you've been through a particular grief, maybe if you, you lean into it the way that, that Matt's talking about, the way that the scriptures show us, God's doing something within you that, that you couldn't have done on your own, that he needed to use that, that particular circumstance for something to happen within you. Uh, the questions that, that we always want to process, whether it's in our disciple-making community, whether that's in your family, and I'd, re I'd really encourage you, within your family uh, unit, to talk through these questions. What is the source of your grief right now? Those things that Matt was talking about uh, this week, we're just we're in a different cycle of time. Relationally, everything that is going on. So asking your kids, Isaiah and Rosie and Mimi, just sitting there, those are the kids that are under my roof right now. What's going on in your life? What grief is, is at your, your forefront of your mind and your table right now? And go to your disciple-making community. That transparency, leaning into that brokenness, is going to bring something different about. How has hope in Jesus intersected with your grief? And whether it's taking that 1 Thessalonians passage whether it's finding a different scripture, I really, really, really want to encourage you. How can you lean in with the scriptures and ask, how has, has Jesus and hope transformed where I am right now? Mosaic, we're thankful that you came and joined us tonight. And we ask that you would go and breathe life and hope into those that are around you, each and everywhere you go, into the life that, that you're going to be around. If you're struggling with something tonight, if, if you need prayer in, in any form or fashion, uh, Matt and I will be up here, and obviously there's people in the foyer. So if, if you're struggling with a particular kind of grief that you just like to talk through tonight, please, come and see us. Let's talk. Um, we want to make sure that you're getting connected. Again, that's something that you can do in the foyer, or feel free to call us uh, during the week. But we would love to connect with you. Mosaic, know that God is able to do exceedingly more than we would ever ask or imagine. To him be the glory that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Have a fantastic week.